Entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know. It's the TC Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know what idea. <laughs> Diagnosis. I had an idea, and then uh... prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why it's funny? It wasn't. It wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me? Yeah, I don't know what idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the doctor, TC Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh the doctor laugh. is now in. Hour number two here on the busiest Major League Baseball day of the year trade deadline. And as we look at the clock on the wall, it says that's all. Trade deadline gone. Come and gone. And uh, some major moves uh, took place today. we dive into that again in hour number two. All right. Plus, we got a little bit more coming your way. Ace is back in action tonight. You'll hear from Becky Hammond. Getting ready as the Aces take on the Atlanta Dream tonight. Aces going for win number 24. How about that? 23-2 and two right now. Winners of seven straight. Trying to make it eight in a row. And then uh, off to New York and then Dallas for a big showdown coming up on Sunday. So uh, get out to the house tonight. Michelob Ultra Mandalay Bay if you can get a ticket. Uh, again, expected another uh, sellout uh, tonight. So tip off 7 o'clock, 6.30, pregame show. You can join me right down the dial on ESPN 1100-100.9 FM at 6.30 for the pregame show as well. All right, tip it off at 7 o'clock. We continue on this hour talking Major League Baseball and uh, great guests coming up uh, right now. Our good friend, World, former World Series champion. Should say never say former because once you're a World Series champion, you're a champion. It's like a boxer. I mean, once you're a champion, you're a champion. You don't take it away. Plain and simple. Uh, multi-time All-Star, World Series champion with the Philadelphia Phillies, great career with the Milwaukee Brewers back in the day as well. Beloved wherever he goes, and a hell of a golfer too, my man, pride of Sacramento, Jeff Jenkins, joins us now. Jeff, what's happening, brother? TC, what's going on, man? It's all happening here, man. A very, very busy day, as you well know, man. Uh, August 1st, uh, trade deadline day. Uh it is pretty chaotic on, on this day, right? Yeah, and you know what? The players are glued to the TV because if you look at the schedule, everything's a night game tonight, and which rightfully so on trade deadline day. You want to make sure that uh, you know all the deals go through, and, and a lot of the pitchers that may be pitching that day that could be getting moved, uh, you definitely don't want them thrown on that day, especially the people that are trying to trade for them. So um, just a cra- you know, crazy, lots of movement. Uh, obviously I think the biggest one of the day, um, the Astros getting Justin Verlander back. I mean, now, you know, you've got Framber Valdez with Verlander and, and, uh, Christian Javier. I mean, that's, that's a three headed monster right there. And I think, um, you know, Dusty, Dusty's looking at getting a second title after that move. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, when Verlander left in free agency, and we all kind of knew that was probably going to happen, but I know deep down inside Verlander, you know, wanted to stay, kind of much like Carlos Correa wanted to stay the year before when he bolted for Minnesota. Well, I guess what? He bolted first, what, uh, for New York and then San Francisco and then and yeah. all, all that stuff. And, you know, his agent was in his, in his mind saying, listen, man, you could be the, the four million dollar man i mean you could you know the 400 million dollar man i should say and uh you know sometimes you know players listen to that i get that verlander you know is going to take a whole bunch of money the astros we're not going to pay him that but i think it's uh, pretty cool that he's going to end up back there and i can tell you that the, the the clubhouse the guys are very very excited to welcome him back and like you said this is exactly what the astros needed this is going to be that injection shot in their arm because they've had plenty of injuries this year uh you know from the batting side you've had alvarez miss games you've had altuve miss games brantley still hasn't come back and then from the pitching side you know valdez and javier have not been good uh recently you lose Garcia, you lose Urquidy, you know, basically for the entire season. And you've had these young guys that have had to come up from the, from the minors to basically fill roles for the Astros. So I know it was like nervous time the last few weeks there in Houston, but now you're starting to get more healthy. Now you get Verlander back. I mean, it, it, it has to be a very joyous time for a good friend, Dusty Baker in that clubhouse right now. Yeah. And I, and I think Bake, you know, he's such a very smart and strategic, um, you know, 
manager, um, obviously growing up in the National League. But, uh, you know, he's going to be very smart uh, how he gives these guys extra days of rest. Uh, you bring in Verlander in, they'll probably bring up uh, a couple of minor league guys here and there to pick up some games, maybe push them out even as a six, uh, a six man rotation, just so, you know, you don't have too much wear and tear because they're a playoff team already, if not the division winner. And, uh, they're, they're going to be in the postseason. So it's a matter of how do we get to that finish line of the postseason? And at the start, how can I make sure all my guys are healthy? Uh, and on the same track and, and really ready to make that postseason run. You know, Jeff, I'm sure that you've got some some trade deadline stories or if there were rumors or whatever, but I shared early on in this hour that, you know, last year, one year ago today, I was actually in Houston with Dusty on this day and was with him these hours that were led up to it. And I got a chance to see the behind-the-scenes chaos that goes on with that from a manager's perspective when, and you remember how the Astros were at this time last year. I mean, they were just rolling. They're well over 20, 25 games over 500. Uh, and Dusty was really happy with the team they had there. But, you know, the general manager wanted to make some moves to try to strengthen them for, for October. And there's a lot that goes into this day. And as the clock is ticking down, so I got a chance to, to witness a lot of that firsthand. I thought it was, it was total. Total chaos from that perspective. How about from a player's perspective? I don't know if you ever got traded on, uh, on, 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 on a day or you were rumored to be or you had, you know, your, your close brothers there in that clubhouse go through it, but talk about what this day means to a player. Well, in Milwaukee, you know, it was a very unfortunate situation because we, we, I was on the kind of the, the lowly teams back in the day, losing 90 to 100 games. And, you know, you're just fighting and scratching and clawing for everything you could get. But we, we really had, it, as far as the trade market was concerned, we were a seller almost basically every time. And, and it was very frustrating when you're playing, uh, you know, addition by subtraction, if you will. And you just, you're, it's just like you're, you can't get above water because you're, you're constantly, you're trading, you're trading the guy like Richie Sexton away, but you're getting, you know, five D backs in return. You're, you're getting Carlos Lee in a trade, but then you're getting rid of Jerry, Jeremy Burnett. You're getting, and just so all these things, these factors go into play. What I will tell you to give you a little bit of uh, feel for what it does feel like for a player in the clubhouse, um, being in Philadelphia and making a couple of moves to help us. And we eventually win the world series in 2008, but it, Basically, when you have a great player and he leaves your clubhouse for another team at the deadline, it's just the biggest gut punch you can ever feel because you're like, you're not going to go out on that field the next day with the same team you had the day before with all that, that power and strength. And if you're the, on the other side of it and you're the receiver of that player, like for instance, when the Brewers traded Josh Hader last year to the Padres, imagine what that was like to be Manny Machado into that club, into that, you know, San Diego, clubhouse when you're like oh my gosh we just got josh Hader on the back end of our bullpen i mean it is uh you're just like you know you can just ready to run through walls so there's definitely a um a high and a low to that whole situation i have them on both ends most of the time i was on the the ladder but the but it's uh, it, it's an awesome feeling to get a great player walking into your clubhouse. Absolutely, Jeff Jenkins uh, joins us. Eleven years in the big leagues, World Series champion with the Phillies in '08. Many many years there uh, in in Milwaukee. And you know when you look at this this day right now, okay, the Astros are sky high. How are you feeling if you're the Texas Rangers? Because here it was two days ago. You get Max Scherzer, and that's another team that has. Some pitching woes. Now they have upgraded themselves this past year in the offseason. You know, we get Marcus Simeon, uh, Seeger, you get other guys like that. I was like, whoa, okay, this is, this, this team can, can, can go now, especially, uh, at the plate. But still, you look at this Texas Ranger team and you talk about the psyche. It's like, hey, they just got done playing the Astros and they lose two out of three games, uh, in that series. And then now you see what the Astros do. You go into action tonight only with a half game lead. Talk a little bit about from the Rangers' perspective on on how they're feeling right now. Well, I think they're flying high. I mean, you've got first of all, you've got just a number one Bruce Bochy running running the helm, and no, there's there's nothing better than that. When you know a manager's won, uh, is it four World Championships? I yep. can't remember. Is he three out of five years yep. or whatever. Yep. He, uh, you know, you just you already know that you have the right leader on the field that's going to take care of the X's and O's. But uh, for them to go out, and I really think one of the catalysts for them uh, was going out and getting a roll this Chapman early 
uh, and really setting the tone a few weeks before um, before the trade down trade deadline was even going to be a factor. They went out. They've got they got somebody that throws 100 miles an hour left handed. Put him in the bullpen. Now you add a couple of those starting pitchers. They got Montgomery, I believe, from uh, St. Louis too. Um, and and that's just uh, you know. Uh, what's his name? Just went on the DL. That's why they probably went out and got an extra couple arms. But when, when Eovaldi comes back and he's healthy, they'll have seven arms on that team. And I'm telling you what, to get to the finish line, you know, you, you need all those seven arms. Now you're going to only go into the postseason with four to five of them as your starters. Probably you're going to go with five, but you just don't know from start to start. And in the postseason, it's over before it's, before you know it. And so if a guy's has a bad start, You'll have a little backup in there, either either, either to, to shorten up that pitcher's start and bring somebody out of the pen, uh, somebody that can go long, or you're going to make a change and bring one of those guys in that you traded for and inject a little energy into your into your uh, starting staff. Yeah, and the Rangers are a very dangerous team that we've uh, we've seen. I mean, they're getting uh, a lot of great production, you know, from guys like Garcia, Lowe, and we mentioned Simeon there, you know, uh, at, at, at the top. And like you said, they have strengthened themselves big time, uh, you know, from a pitching uh, standpoint. How how real do you think the Rangers are as far as as being? We know obviously they're a contender. They they're going to battle with the Astros probably down to the wire. They're both probably going to get in. One as a, a division champion and one as a, a wild card. But uh, talk a little bit about the Rangers. I think I think the Rangers offense is probably for me is probably the most dangerous offense uh, out there. Uh, just just I mean they've got this kid Duran that hits eighth in their lineup and he's as dangerous as anyone. So it's just one through nine. It never stops. Their catcher absolutely rakes uh, all the way around the infield. Everybody, I mean, from Jung playing third, um, you know, and Semien and, and uh, Seager, uh, Lowe at first. I mean, it's just, it just never ends with their lineup. So offensively, they'll be fine. Where I think the difference could be is this, is, is the pickup of Verlander for, for the Astros. I just pitch I just know. And the, so I always tell people in the regular season, you play inning game to game and inning to inning. In the postseason, it's pitch to pitch. Every pitch seems like it's going to be a three-run homer, or it's going to be a strikeout, or somebody's going to kick a ball and it's going to affect the game. So that what that tells you is is that the pitching really, really, when it comes down to crunch time, the pitching really dominates. And having a guy like Justin Verlander that's been there, that's won at the top. I mean, it's sure ballot Hall of Famer, just got his 250th win. I mean, that's just. Uh, it's just such a, a, a confidence boost for the organiz- for that organization. I wouldn't be su- I won't be surprised if Texas, you know, they're going to be a postseason team too. I wouldn't be surprised if they go on and, and they are be- the better team. It just something tells me that this Verlander pickup is such a monster deal to get him back in Houston, where all the vibes could come back. Exactly, I think that's a, a big piece of it as well too. You're getting a guy that is coming back to where he won two championships and coming off the Cy Young Award from last season, and now okay, it's like he took a you know a a, a four month break or something like that. And hey, now he's back, you know, and so that comfortability with guys in that clubhouse, playing in that ballpark. Uh, again, getting back on that mound, I, I just think, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it is a, a huge advantage for the Astros, especially considering the problems they've had, uh, you know, with the, with the rest of that staff. So I'm with you. I think it's a, it's a huge jolt for the Astros. Hey, sticking in the American League here, everybody made a trade today, I believe, except one team. And that one team, is the Yankees, and this is a team that has struggled. No, they just they did just it? traded for someone. They just yeah, they just traded for for a guy named Middleton from they from, did uh, the White the White Sox. Sox. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I was going by uh, before we came on the air today. So there you go. So talk a little bit about the Yankees and and what do you see for this team now? Judge is back. We get that, but still seems like a lot of holes on this team. Well, my best friend is the manager there, and Mr. Aaron Boone, and, yep. and uh, you know I, I know he's doing his best uh, with what he's got. He's definitely had a lot of injuries, and you know you can't make those excuses. Everyone does have injuries, but man, they have the pitching staff has just been through these ups and downs. And man, yesterday yesterday was the, one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, and I and I haven't spoke to Aaron yet about this, but I'd love to be a fly on the wall to know what actually happened because in that Yankee game um, they brought up uh, Jorge Brito. To pitch in, in for uh, Domingo Herman, who has been pretty lights out, who obviously had the perfect game earlier in the season, and for some reason he couldn't start because something was they scratched him, I guess, because of the shoulder. But then all of a sudden, 
uh, Brito threw like four innings, and then they brought Herman out of the pen <laughs> to to throw like four innings. So it was the weirdest weirdest scenario I think I've ever seen for the guy that was supposed to be the starter and did not start the game, looked like he was scratched, and all of a sudden they're bringing him out of the pen in the third inning or something to throw four innings. And I, I don't know. It, was just, it just tells me that there's, you know, there's a little dysfunction going on right right now. I think it, with with uh, with the team, I, I know that not having your man there, having having Judge out there, being hurt, uh, having that toe injury that he got against the Dodgers, that was uh, that was very unfortunate. And it's tough when you don't see that Aaron Judge name in your lineup every day, going out there with confidence, just like we talked about. But uh, you know, Rizzo hasn't been hitting very good. Um, some of their role players haven't been been doing a great job. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's weird, you know. In any other division, they'd be you wouldn't even be like that panicked because they're five games over or something, and they'd be first place in a couple other divisions. But in the East, you know, they're sitting in the in the cellar, looking up at all the other teams, and and you're not going to catch. I'm sorry, you're not catching Baltimore, and you're not catching. Um, I just Tampa, don't think you're going to yeah. catch any of the, any of those teams. I mean, maybe you can finish third, but you're not catching Tampa or yeah. or Baltimore. They're just too good. Like you said, you know Aaron Boone probably better than anybody. He's a, a close friend of yours. And when you're the manager in New York, whether it's the Yankees or the Mets, I mean, and you're not winning, you are going to get heat. Uh, thoughts about the job that, that Aaron's done here and um, how much of this is, is on a manager? Because as we say, you know, people look at the results and they, they're always pointing fingers at the manager and not realizing, okay, hey, we've had a ton of injuries here, but just speak to Aaron Boone as a manager in your opinion. Well, I think Boone's done an amazing job. I, I think, you know, um, it was, it was obviously a hot button topic when they hired him because he was coming out of the booth and had no previous managerial experience, but Playing with him at USC, I had always known he was a manager. He was managing back then when we were playing at USC on all the games. And so I already know, you know, and, and obviously Bob was a manager and, and all that stuff. So it, it was already in the in the bloodlines for Aaron to do that. Getting the Yankee job now, that's another beast, right? But but I think they brought a guy in that was very positive, can handle the media, very good with the X's and O's. And listen, the bottom line is, you know, it's all American League Baseball now because there's the DH is in both leagues. So there's no double switching um, you know, a lot of the GMs are sending out lineups. I don't know if that's how it goes there or not. Um, but you, you listen, you have your players, you've got your skill set. Yeah. I mean, at the, you, you got to coach them up, but the reality is we're already big leaguers. We're already there. We're already working hard. We're in shape. Uh, we, we, we plan, we prepare, uh, we study, we take our batting practice. We try to eat correctly. We take the field at 7 PM and we try to win ball games. And at the end of the day, you're either good or you're not good. And there's no, there's no excuses, guys. Every every team's got injuries, uh, you know, and, and you know the Yankees haven't have had their own. But at the end of the day, you know, I think Booney has done a good job. He's won he's won a hundred games, two or three times, or been right around that mark. So he's he's winning the games, but they're just not quite getting to the finish line. But my worry is that this year, you know, for them, if they don't get to the postseason, I'm I'm definitely very worried uh, on his end for. You know, because it's New York, right? You yeah. gotta, you gotta, you gotta answer the bill. You got it. Jeff Jenkins uh, joins us. We've talked a lot about the Angels and Otani up until about the past forty-eight hours, seventy-two hours or so, because everyone's thinking, oh, maybe they'll make a move or not. But Artie Moreno came out basically last week and had said this even last year that no, nope. he goes, I'm Otani's not going to go anywhere. Uh, risky for them that they could lose. Uh, you know, him and not get anything in return. But I guess they feel that, you know, they may have a shot to, you know, back in or maybe, you know, maybe get hot here and get into the postseason play. And then, as we know, once you get into the dance, I mean, anything can happen here. Give me some thoughts on the Angels and the decision by the Angels to not trade Otani. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, you know, everybody wants to use Babe Ruth, a modern day Babe Ruth, because he pitches and hits. And he's not just the MVP as a hitter right now. I mean, he's he's top five, top seven pitcher too. So it's unlike anything we've ever seen. It's transcendent of times. It's it's really cool that it, you know he comes out of Japan. Um, you can only imagine. I played with Hideo Nomo back in the day, and they used to line the streets and watch the TVs, the big Trinitrons. They put his games on the TV uh, and watch him pitch in the streets. Um, and so you can only imagine 
what to what degree is going on right now back home for him. So I think as an Angels fan base, it's very it's very disappointing because they're not going to resign him and they're not going to pay him you know five hundred fifty or six hundred million dollars to play baseball. I don't think. And so if you're if if that's if that's absolutely the, the decision that you're going to make, and you're kind of like a flirting with 500 or just above it, and and you know to make a postseason, I personally I, I I know it's hard, but I think the right move would have been to trade him and get like just I mean five just blue chip prospects and really really set yourself up for two or three years down the road. I know that they did a great job bringing in a couple of these players from Colorado because uh, they are great players. Um, and I hope they make the postseason and, and have a great run. That would be awesome to watch uh, Otani and Trout in the postseason. But they really need Trout to get healthy because he's been hurt. And as you've seen, he hasn't. He, they've just been walking him. They've, they've been putting him on first base. So um, I'm a fan of Otani. I think it's an amazing story. Uh, but I do think they should have traded him. All right. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the National League here. And, again, the other side of this trade were, were the Mets. And we know this team really has been a disaster this year. Uh, they send the Astros not only Verlander to pick up two prospects, one a pretty good prospect uh, there in Houston. But here's the kicker, Jeff. The Mets are also sending the Astros $54 million as well. And the Astros are only going to be on the hook for $29 million for Verlander for this year and next year. So basically the Mets are saying, Hey, uh, you know, kind of like the, the line for Moneyball, you know, you go with uh, Billy Bean saying to, to David Justice, like, Hey, he goes, I'm not paying you $7 million. The, you know, the, the Yankees are paying, uh, are paying us, uh, you know, for, for you to go away. And it kind of seems like what the, this is what the Mets are doing. Obviously they, uh, Mark Connor, he's gone now. Uh, Scherzer's gone now. Verlander's gone now. And they are getting some very good prospects. What Acuna's, a younger brother who should be very, very good, you know, down the road as well too. Maybe the Mets. This is the direction they should have gone with, you know, maybe prior to this past off season. But talk a little bit about what you're seeing the Mets do in the fire sale, which the owner said, "Hey, we're not doing a fire sale." But then the GM is really conducting a fire sale in the last 48 hours. <laughs> well, that's comical that they could even say that because this is an absolute dumpster fire right now. I mean, the fact that. Um, you know, at the start of the season, you know, we're, we're talking up the, the, the Mets as being a contender. And you know what? This is the, this is a classic case where you can have all the money in the world and you can go, I'm going to get a player, a player, B player, C. And for them, they, they got about eight different players and brought them in studs, right? And you put them all in a room and everyone's an alpha at that level anyway. But just because you get all this talent in a room doesn't always equate to success. And it's, it's hard to believe that, but I really believe the, you know, what I, I feel bad for the Mets, uh, during the World Baseball Classic when Edwin Diaz went down, he blew his knee out celebrating. And I almost remember, I remember thinking to myself, like, ooh, this is, this is one of those omens that you see that you're like, oh, I don't, man, I know they, they can go out and get a closer, but it's just, this is your guy at the back end, and he's such an energetic guy, and it was, it was such a, cool thing to see last year when he was coming out the Timmy trumpet out of the bullpen. It was just like, it was the thing to watch. You're like, okay, the Mets are going to be must watch TV. And, and, uh, you know, it just, it just never, it was just stuck in idle. It just never got going. And, you know, I give them credit. I think, you know, they're just not going to be a winner this year. And, and I didn't see him doing all this movement. Um, but you know, the reality is Verlander and Scherzer, they're, they're at the back end of their, of their, you know, careers. And so if you're not going to win, I, I think you got to trade them and you got to get some prospects. All right. All right. What about the Dodgers? Dodgers and the Padres. And you look at the NL West here. Uh, not a lot of major moves with these two teams, but uh, give me some thoughts on who comes out of the West. Well, I was shocked by the Dodgers not going to get. Um, I mean, I really do believe the Dodgers are setting up their team after last year, get, you know, trading t- Trey Turner um, and, and moving some money away from the team. I really think they're setting up a big play for Otani in the off season. I also think that's why you might've seen them not maybe either give away some money or bring on a lot of money. Uh, as far as contracts are concerned here in the trade deadline, I was shocked. They didn't go get Dylan cease from, uh, from the Chicago white Sox. Um, it was just a starter that I think they need. Um, I don't know if uh, Walker Bueller is going to be able to come back or not. That would be an amazing injection for them, for their team. 
but I still think they're going to be very competitive. They can rake, um, you know, with Betts and Freeman and all these guys. I mean, they, they're they're going to be they'll be a great playoff team. I don't know if they have enough to get to the finish line. I don't know. If, I don't know if the bullpen, and I don't know if uh, you know the, the starters lengthen out enough to go and, and go fight against uh, you know an Astros or or Rangers or um, or Padres even. All right. All right, he is Jeff Jenkins, a great player back in the day, World Series champion with the Philadelphia Phillies in 08, uh, and an alumnus of USC. And you brought that up, my friend. So before I let you go, I got to pick your brain here. What are you thinking? I mean, you're you're not really a a a Pac-10 or a Pac-12 alumnus anymore, you know? Your school's going to the Big Ten. How did that hit you? You know, (laughs) seeing USC and UCLA and other uh, defectors, I mean, what are you going to be watching? Uh, you're, you know, you're going to get a Big tw- uh, Big Ten T-shirt now. What are you going to do, man? I, 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 you know, well, I definitely, I definitely will because we're, <laughs> we're going to be in that league in another year. But you know, we're, we're still in this. We got last year in the pack. I, listen, I said it all along. I think when the the Pac-12 messed up is when uh, we could we couldn't get their games on like regular satellite. You had to have a special, you know. Um, uh, I forget what the not on direct TV. If you had to get something else to just watch your USC game or your or your Oregon State game at night, so it's just like they started when they when they whatever I forget what the commissioner's name was. But when they started that whole uh, you know ball down the road, I just think it really started this like because um, East Coast people they don't know about the pack, they don't watch the games because it's too late, right? So you have to figure out a way to market your team on the East coast. Well, what better way if they can join the big 10, uh, you know, and now you're going to play nationally televised games at different times and they're going to see you play. I, I just think it's good for recruiting. Um, you know, I think unfortunately that things evolve and, and things change. And right now you're going to see these super conferences come together. I mean, it's just unfortunate, but it's the way that the money's going. And, um, you know, hopefully they get some guardrails on this whole NIL deal. Cause I think it's a slippery slope with, with paying all these kids all this money, I do want to see them get you know compensated. But I think it's it's starting to already get ridiculous, and it's only going to get worse. So I think they need to do some things to to get control of it and, and just have some rules in place. Because if you don't, I think we're looking at a situation where there's about 12 teams that could win the national title every year, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Larry Scott was the commissioner you're referring to up in uh, you know, was there till. Tw- 2021 and uh, he does get a lot of, of the blame from people because of like you said the lack of tv deal and everything else that uh, that has happened here but it, it is crazy i'll say from a baseball perspective i mean it's it's going to be great i guess because now i mean the travel is going to be horrendous but there's not a lot of big 10 baseball schools as from a powerhouse perspective you know so baseball may get a little bit easier you know for for those teams well, I'm, I'm hoping that they, you know, I was thinking about that too. Uh, I went to a couple of USC games toward the end of the season and, um, you know, they're, I think they're hoping that the schedules will be front loaded West Coast style. Right. <laughs> of right. Course, you know, because I mean, you got to take advantage when it's cold or maybe to get some warmer weather. And, but I'm sure that's something, that's not the only sport that they, get, they would deal with. So it's, uh, I'm sure that they're looking at all facets and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's a certain excitement. I think I, I can't wait to go to watch USC play at Ohio State. Yeah. I can't wait to go. I mean, there's just like, you know, before you had to wait for this to happen in the postseason, whatever, um, you know, in a playoff game or whatever. But now it's every, it's going to be every year. And, you know, you go to the big house, you go to, I mean, just, it's going to be very, very cool to, um, I know they're just as excited to have them in there too. Yeah, no doubt. Jeff, I appreciate it, my friend. Uh, we'll let you uh, get back to the links, man. You know, Mr. Scratch Golfer over there. How's that game doing, man? How's that game doing? Well, yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a one right now. So. Oh, it's a one! Dang! Yeah. Oh, you better you better go get some more private lessons there. Jeez. Yeah, my <laughs> my guy. Hey, I appreciate the time as always, man. Let's do this again. Uh, love the insight, and uh, you're all over Major League Baseball, man. I appreciate the time today. Yeah, you got it, TC. Anytime, brother. Thank you. There he is, Jeff Jenkins. Pride of USC. There, gotta like that. All right, great years with the Milwaukee Brewers and then winning the championship when he went to uh, Philadelphia in 08. We come back, we talk aces. You hear from Becky Hammond because it is game day. The T.C. Martin Show is back. Yes! Yes! What are you doing? It's just a halftime. Yes, this is my favorite part of the game. T.C. Martin. Yes! In the face! The doctor is now in. In. In.
And join us now, the head coach in her beautiful, the friendly confines of her office, Becky Hammond. What day is it? Game day. It is. Hey, four days off from returning from a undefeated road trip, 3-0. and What do you like most about your team from those three games? I mean, road games are always sweet to win. Any road game. It's hard to go into somebody else's place and, and, and string together uh, quality wins. Um, well, Seattle, you know, we kind of came out of the gate a little slow because we were in, coming out of All-Star, so I kind of expected that um, a little bit. Um, thought we played very well in Minnesota and then Chicago. Um, overall, you know, happy with the win in Chicago, but uh, wasn't pleased with some of our defensive uh, execution. But, you know. I'm a stickler on that kind of stuff. So. You scored 107, but you weren't happy with the 95. I was not up, happy right? with the 95. <laughs> yeah, or, or the 35 or 37 that Copper dropped on us. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big number. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Asia. She's playing at another level right now. 23 points, 15 rebounds against Seattle. 35 and 14 against Minnesota. 24 points against Chicago. Only four rebounds. I don't know. We should light her up for that. She only had four boards. I know. Kia was taking them all. Kia right. had 17. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. You know, taking away my stats a little bit. But six straight games for Asia Wilson with at least 20 points. Why is she in such a good groove right now? Um, well, our defense has been pretty good. Obviously, yeah. she's our defensive anchor down there, her and Kia. And uh, when we know we're elite when we, we can play out of our defense. She's getting out and running. I mean, she's getting two to three layups a game, um, which is a good sign when we get those bigs and, and they're getting rewarded for their rim runs. Um, we have willing passers, and we have people that are constantly looking up the floor for open players. So um, our, our, our wish is that if you run, you will get it, right? Like... What's the, the Field of Dreams thing? Yeah. If they build it, it if you build they'll, they'll, it, they will they'll come. come. Yeah, right. well, if you run, you will get it. That's what we're trying to say. I love you. You're, just, you know, you're taking movie quotes. And, I, t- I, d- know, I, I take it. it and make it our own. I like it. <laughs> As you should. Just plagiarizing things left uh, and right. Of course. <laughs> Copyright here. Uh, with the injuries and the short bench, do you feel that, that Asia... May, and even Chelsea, let's throw her in here as well, maybe kind of take it upon themselves to maybe that they feel like they need to carry the load a little bit more? Oh yeah, I mean, every we're down obviously yeah. a, a couple key players. Um so everybody has to step up and do more. I mean, as much as uh I expect from them already, it's got to be more. And um you know, coming out of of All-Star break, it was kind of cool cuz we started the season there, right, in Seattle, yeah. and then coming out of All-Star is kind of like the second half yeah. of the season. So to be in Seattle both times was kind of cool and um you know, they have Mount Rainier there. And I had asked them questions about like what a mountaintop looks to them and going back and forth. Right. And, um, it's my job like to keep them moving forward. Like the mountaintop, that's just a, that's a plateau. We got to get to the next one and the next one and keep moving in getting to, um, our best. It doesn't matter. Like I never measure us against the league. I'm wondering, cause there's nights where somebody can have a night. Or a team can have a night. Yeah. Um, I thought Chicago, as a team, shot the living lights out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and you, that can happen. Um, but who we are on a day-to-day habit basis—that's what I'm more concerned with—is are we being the best version of ourselves? Chelsea Gray, six out of her last seven games, she's had at least seven assists. You know that position very well. Talk a little bit about the importance of having her and what she is doing right now. You know, it. I just feel there's a comfortableness with she knows where everybody's at, kind of everybody's on the same page. Um, the ball's moving. Um, you know, she obviously has the ball a lot. I have the utmost trust in her eyes most of the time. You know, we're seeing the same things. Um, there's times where we look, I'm making a call, she's making a call, but it's the same call, you know? So it's good to be on the same page like that with, with, with your point guard. She, it's like the game has, she's always been a tremendous passer, but it just seems like the game is in slow motion for her. Is she better than you thought before you came into this league and, and got a chance to coach her? Because arguably best point guard in the league, correct? I don't yeah. think it's even close. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe so. Um, I knew she was really good. I had watched her, you know, when, the Sparks won that championship. I remember her hitting some big ones. Like, yeah. dang, this girl hits big ones. Like, she likes big moments. Um, so I didn't know she was that good probably on a day-to-day basis, though. Like, 
and her vision, you know, cause you see highlights, but I'm like, she routinely does that. <laughs> like that's, that's <laughs> just who she is. It's, it's not like one every three games. It's a few every game where, um, you know, if you're not ready, she's going to beat you in the head. And you know, that's one thing that I wanted to talk about too. And I thought about this the other day. Nobody is talking about Asia Wilson's hands. Yes. She got Spider-Man hands. Mm-hmm. Like she catches any ball that is in her vicinity. And Chelsea Gray, playing with an elite <laughs> passer, like you got to have exceptional hands. And that's something like her catching ability um, is off the charts. Really great hands. That is a fantastic point. Dallas, last time you faced them three weeks ago, was part of the back-to-back situation, beat them here, but then went on the road and one of the two losses of the season. How much have you looked back at footage from that game and how much have you kind of hammered home some stuff about eh, a little payback time? I've ran it back too much, probably, probably overthinking it at this point. <laughs> because we, you and I have talked about this before, but it seems like you bring up the, the Connecticut and the Dallas game yeah, a lot. They bother me. Exactly. They bother me. Um, look, I thought we did a decent job, um, in Dallas for three quarters. Um, that fourth quarter was a disaster. Um, and some of it, you know, you go back, you're like, we were two for 10 from three. Um, they weren't terrible shots. Now the five turnovers in the fourth quarter, um, their five offensive rebounds and you end up losing the game by two. Like, wouldn't you love to get one of those back? Yeah. Just one. Um, more importantly, big picture, they have pounded us in the paint offensively and defensively in a series that we've played eight quarters. We've split four, four. So there's no runaway in this race. Uh, this team is way better than their record. Got a final movie quote for us before you uh, hit the floor. I mean, no, now that you put me on the spot. <laughs> TC, that has to just come naturally. Like, it just has to come out of me. I, I know. I can't I just, like, say a movie quote and then. Yeah. I don't know. Something that just made us flow off. I mean, again, I mean, you came up with couples off the top that you had earlier. So, I don't well, know. You know. No what? pressure. Don't worry about it. It's a good thing we're on radio because I'm not quite sure I want to know I know what to do with my hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Becky Hammond, she is a treat, I can tell you. She is not a Quentin Tarantino fan. Hold on, did did you get that last that last reference the, about the hands? About the hands. I mean, kind I'm of, sure you probably of. haven't seen the movie. No, the uh, Ricky Bobby. That's what she was talking. That's about? what she's talking about. Okay, that, explain it to me. It, it's a movie quote. He's. Do, do, you, he, do you have a clip? He's getting he's getting interviewed. Okay. After winning a race, right? And he's just raising his hands up yeah. like this. He's like, I don't know what to do. Or I don't know what to do with my hands. And he's just like. Because it's it's the first race that he's won, okay. and he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. As he's getting interviewed, you know, is that Will Ferrell? Will Ferrell? Okay, yeah. Didn't know, and that's what she, yes. So that so she did. Give so me, she gave you a movie quote she at did. the end. <laughs> I said, why don't you give me a Pulp Fiction quote? She goes, I'm not a fan. I go, what? Yeah, not a fan. She goes, yeah, I'm not big into Quentin Tarantino. She didn't understand Kill Bill. She thought there was. Too much killing in Kill Bill. I go, well, it's hence the, the name, name of the movie. movie. <laughs> I love her. She's great. Driving has got nothing to do with interviews. I just wish the hell you had a little more stupid cowboy in you. I felt like I was on a spaceship. And uh, I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Uh, be good just to hold them down by okay. your side. Yeah, great. Well, we're real happy with, um, with what was going on. And uh, at the end of the day... Um, you know, you got to be happy. What did you say his name was again? His name is Ricky. Ricky Bobby. <laughs> now, I, I didn't get it. Yeah. Now I get it. Now you get it. Now you see. So she's bringing a movie quote. Yep. She brought it. it. See, her taste of movies and mine are a little bit different there. I think her and me would get along. There. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, like you, the maturity level of a 12-year-old. There you go. <laughs> A little bit slow on the take there, son. A little bit slow. Sorry about that. How about some Raiders training camp news today? How about that, huh? Hey, got the pads on today. Padded practice. Players love the padded practice. Forget about the shorts and all the shells. Forget that. Put the pads on. You know what happens when you have a padded practice? Players get angry. You get a little contact going on there, and some players get 
a little angry or hangry. Well, what we're hearing, what happened at the Intermountain Healthcare Center out there in Henderson today, the Raiders facility, is that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and Max Crosby got into it a little bit. Now, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that make a lot out of that, but <sighs> that is the nature of football. But I've never, and I understand it's a physical game, contact, but here's the dealio. There's a reason why the quarterbacks wear the alternate jersey or the red jersey. You know, they don't wear a red jersey if your team colors are red. Like the 49ers, you're not wearing red. You know what I'm saying? Packers like would yellow. be wear red. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, like the goalie in soccer. Yeah. Okay. But it's your quarterback. What is Max Crosby trying to do? Trying to send a message? Like, no, you don't touch your quarterback. You welcome your quarterback. Because if the Raiders have any hope of winning this year, going to the playoffs, going deep into the playoffs, you're going to need Jimmy Garoppolo to be very, very good. So I can't see Garoppolo doing anything to insult Max Crosby. It's, you know, usually the defensive guys usually instigate this for the most part, unless you're a hothead like Travis Kelsey. Now, you heard about Kelsey the other day, right? No. Yeah, he's in practice, and he punched punched a a D-backs, you know, a defensive back in the helmet. Like, what are you doing? Okay? This guy was a youngster. He's a rookie. Like, initiate him into this. No. These are teammates. You're going to need... Guys on the other side of the ball. And sometimes you get offense versus defense. And, you know, offensive players, defensive players, they take it too darn seriously. It's like like they have this almost hatred towards them. Come on, man. It's ridiculous. What was the big reason the Warriors had their faltering point last year? What happened? Training camp. Draymond. Draymond Green. Jordan Poole. It's your teammate, man. What are you doing? I don't get it. Yeah, Travis Kelsey the other day, and it wasn't the first time. It's the second time that Kelsey did this. Well, today we got reports out of the Raiders camp that Crosby and Garoppolo got into it. Now, what that means, I have no idea. Maybe a little trash talking or something like that. But it's maybe a media member's getting a little overzealous here and just trying to get clicks and, and making a story here. So I'm, I'm sure there's probably some video uh, out there of it. I haven't seen the video. I've seen video. I just watched, watched video of, of the Kelsey in, incident. Yeah. You saw that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe... That was just a little too much after the play. Right. And just a little... Yeah. yeah. But again, it's it's Kelsey. You don't, you don't want that. All right. Crosby and Garoppolo, you have those guys. You know, it, it's weird. Again, first time they're being teammates, still getting to know each other. But yeah, that could be something that you don't want. You know, we talked about you know the drama and training camp and all that other kind of stuff. It's like you don't you don't need the drama. You don't need the circus type at- atmosphere. Raiders are talking about maybe reengaging in talks with Josh Jacobs. To get him signed. It seems really weird when you're looking at a lot of this stuff right now with um, when you're looking at um, video footage of the the Colts camp right now. You You look what's going on there and you've got their fine running back who says, hey, I want to trade. I want to hold out. Jonathan Taylor. And Jonathan Taylor is showing up at training camp in just sweats, T-shirt, and he's like hovering around and watching them. And Jonathan Taylor saying, okay, well, he's injured. But Jonathan Taylor said, trade me. I don't want to be on this team. I don't want to be part of this. So <laughs> it's weird to see that. Josh Jacobs not there. Saquon Barkley, he's back there. Uh, you know, after all the things that he said. So, yeah, a little bit strange. This is the drama time. 
in the circus time of NFL training camp. And a guy who knows all about the drama and the circus of training camps because he's got the camera rolling. He's got the mic out. Brian Salmon, News 3. What is happening, my man? Yo, TC, my guy. What's happening, man? I'm, I'm doing fine. You're doing good, right? We're talking a little Raiders training camp here, man. So uh, we, uh, we're talking a little bit about uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Max Crosby, getting into it a little bit here today. I don't know if you're out there, you saw any of that stuff, or you know they shell the media from uh, – you know, good majority of, of of practices. We see that, of course, more so during the regular season. But uh, give us some thoughts. The first six days of Raiders training camp. Well, Jesse was out there today because I'm headed to go see you later on. Yes, we're going to get to uh, that. Nickelodeon Ultra Arena. Yeah. But um, yeah, no training camp, man. The Raiders they've um, they look they look decent. I mean, Garoppolo. The fact that he was uninjured, he was able to start on day one was a big deal. The players have been talking really good about him. I mean, they're not going to be dogging him, but still. Uh, first day of practice, Max was talking about how Garoppolo was already talking trash, and he liked that. You know, you want a guy to compete and talk trash and, you know, try to raise your level a little bit. Devontae said that, you know, he, he's a fan of him as far as his communication and everything. and But uh, his accuracy and everything else, you know, he, had, he he's not in midseason form, let's say. <laughs> Right, yeah, we know we know that. Raiders are talking about maybe starting want to re-engage with Josh Jacobs uh, to get him there. I think you know what they're seeing there right now is like, hey, you know, we we're going to need this guy. We miss this guy, and that means okay, you know, let's let's try to maybe work out a long-term deal. Uh, any thoughts about Josh Jacobs? Crazy talk, man. They, they want to bring back the guy who led the NFL in rushing last year? Yeah, only 1,600 <laughs> yards. You know, three, 393 touches from out of the backfield from rushing and receiving. That's all, yeah. Yeah, that, that's crazy talk. Like, I get it. Um, Josh McDaniels wants to, you know, he has. He's been successful. He has brought, like, the whole Bill Belichick mindset here. Um, but we all in the media know that there hasn't been a single successful Bill Belichick um, disciple in the NFL, and thus far it hasn't worked. The attitude change in the whole Patriot way, you know, West Coast style with the with the Raiders, you know, inside thought like the players aren't very fond of it. Um, you know, they Josh McDaniels, the Belichick Patriots, they always felt they could win with whoever they had in the backfield, but they did better when they had Corey Dillon in the backfield, who was a great running back. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. how about you go ahead and pay Josh Jacobs? He's a very good running back. You need him. You were horrible at calling plays last year, giving up leads and everything else. Pay the man. Tell us how you really feel, man, about the Raiders coaching staff. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. I shouldn't have said all that. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know how that came out of my mouth. I had like a flash of honesty there real quick. Which is bad, but, you know, my bad. How do you feel about Sean Payton over in Denver, huh, while you're at it? <laughs> well, you, as you know, I covered Sean Payton. Yes. We, we was coaching the uh, the Saints down there in New yep. Orleans, whatever. Yeah, so, the King of Bounty um, Gate, Brian Salmon. He, was, I think he was oh in the background. Gosh. I think you were in the background of that whole Bounty Gate man with my man Brett Favre with the Vikings. I didn't like it, man. Oh, I didn't like you guys back that then. Was, man, that was like the the air of my existence, like having to talk about court cases and Bounty Gate like that. I was there. Yeah, that's dumb. Seriously, though. Ended up let's, having to let's cover talk about too. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about Peyton, though. I mean, I mean, yeah. he he was behind that. Let's not, let's not be mistaken about that. And I know yeah. I know another former uh, head football coach that mm, that uh, Sean Peyton learned under that didn't wasn't the most fond of him as well too. And now we're seeing you know running your mouth early on here in Denver. I don't know. What did you think about Peyton when you covered him? Peyton was uh he was he was a Parcells disciple. So I mean, he knew what he was doing. He ran a tight ship. It wasn't Belichick esque, but I thought he was a great play caller. He's proven. He's proven. So if anyone wants to act as if he shouldn't act the way that he does, personally, I think they need to uh you know direct that energy somewhere else because Sean Payton has won a Super Bowl. He's been to NFC Championship games. He's proven. Can he do it without Drew Brees? That's yet to be seen. But he's got Russell Wilson, who's a good quarterback. The Broncos stunk last year. So 
They need to just be quiet and do whatever Sean Payton tells them to do, and they're going to be better than they were last year. That's that's my take on it. All right. That's my take. All right. Brian Salmon's going to be out at the house tonight, Michelob Ultra Arena, the Aces and the Dream. Aces coming off the 104-91 victory against Dallas the other night. Uh, Atlanta, a much-improved team just like Dallas is. All right, yeah. B-Sal, what, what are we going to see tonight, man? More of the same? Uh, what we're going to see is pink in the house. Yes. The boys got to rock the pink tonight. Uh, of course. We're going is. to see, yes, we're going to see the Aces go eight straight. Mm-hmm. We're going to see that. And hopefully we're going to see T.C. Martin on News 3 around 640 or so talking Aces basketball with me. I think the Aces, man, that they, I mean, they haven't lost at home this year, obviously. Uh, they have. They haven't lost at home in what, like twenty games? I don't know how many. Yeah, I think, I think it's up well, right? uh, like twenty-two now. Or something. Yeah, it's really twelve and zero this year at home. Yeah, go back. They've been phenomenal, <laughs> no doubt. And so yes, and we say it all the time, but it can't be overstated. It cannot be overstated. That is a home court advantage. Michelob Ultra Arena is rocking. Last game was rocking. It's a Tuesday night, but I'm still expecting it to be good in the house tonight as well. Uh, I, oh, no. I, I look forward to the game. I know. It is It is great. It is fantastic. And, again, the who's who is, is coming out. Uh, we've got a little consecutive sellout streak now going. You know, 2,000 – or rather 10,213 in the house coming back uh, from a Sunday afternoon game and expect that again uh, tonight. B-Sal, I will see you at the house. Absolutely. Punch me in. Let me know who's back in the studio. Am I throwing it to LaToya? Am I throwing it to Jim? Who is it? I'm going to give another B-Sal reference, and they're going to go, B-Sal? There he goes with that B-Sal. We know him as Brian, not B-Sal. Get with it, our good folks there at News 3. Come on, baby. Get with the times. (laughs) GC's already got the energy of He's ready. He's TV ready. I'm ready, brother. Two hours ahead of time. All right, brother. (laughs) We'll see you out there. It is a pink out night tonight. Breast Cancer Awareness. B-Sal will be dressed, donned in the pink. I love it. Raising money. The K-Yow Foundation. Uh, It's going to be a great night tonight. Hey, the first 5,000 fans get pink thunder sticks. And also thrown out tonight, we've got pink wristbands and pink socks that are going to get dished out tonight. So get ready for that. All right, I like, I like it, man. All right, bro. I need some pink socks. I know, for sure you do. <laughs> thought you'd have some already. All right, brother, I'll see you out there. I, right now. There you go. All right, my man, I'll see you. Appreciate the time. I'm Brian Salmon. Check him out tonight. Oh, and I guess now I guess I get the news. Check me out tonight, too. 6.40 or so. 6.40 p.m. We're going to go live from the Michelob Ultra Arena. 7 o'clock. Tip off. Want to thank Jeff Jenkins for joining us. Talk a little Major League Baseball trade deadline. Very active day. Justin Verlander to the Astros. That's the major move. And also Brian Salmon for joining us from News 3. Terrible Tuesday takes and more. Go to the website. Check it all out if you miss the show at tcmartinshow.com. Back at it tomorrow at 2. Express.